Amen. Well, it's great to be here with you this morning. Great to be worshiping with you this morning and super fired up to be walking through this series with you. This series called Celebrate the Savior, where we're talking about all about the greatness and the goodness of Jesus Christ. Like, what's so good about Jesus? And that God has given us seven different things that we can take a look at with Christ, seven different pieces that we can celebrate of Him. So, our roadmap for the greatness of Christ is actually going to be looking at the Jewish feasts, looking at some Old Testament things where God is like, hey, take a look at this, celebrate with me. Each of the feasts, remember, they look backward. They look historically to how God was working with Israel. So you see some of what God was doing with the nation of Israel, but it's more than that. Everybody say more than that. It's also looking forward to Jesus Christ and an ultimate fulfillment in him. Praise be to God. And so as we look at these seven feasts, just so you know the number that God often uses when he's trying to show kind of his completeness, the divine holiness of something is the number seven. And he puts seven feasts together, right? And so you should have an image in your uh, folder there that's got just a little bit of a graphic, that middle graphic. And so there's three feasts to the right-hand side. We've already covered those. Those are the first coming of Jesus Christ. That is Jesus Christ when he came, he went to the cross on the 14th of the first month. He died at the exact time the feast was set up for. And then he was buried on the 15th. That's the exact time the next feast was set up for. And then he ended up rising from the dead on the next feast, the feast of first fruits. And so those first three, all about Jesus Christ and his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We serve the God of the universe. He is absolutely in charge, and he is risen. And all of God's people said, amen, Amen, man. That is a huge deal. We got to grasp the first three all celebrate his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Praise be to God for that. And now today we're jumping into the fourth of those feasts, all right? So turn with me, if you will, as we talk about the Feast of Weeks, we're going to go to Leviticus chapter 23, Leviticus. So this is Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. It's not too often we're in this book, but uh, as we go and dive in here, looking a little bit at how God um, guided the nation of Israel on their worship, that's what you find in the book of Leviticus. And so we'll start out point number one, instructional. Celebrate that God has a plan to bring in the harvest of all who will believe. Uh, celebrate that God has a plan to bring in the harvest of all who will believe. And uh, again, this is instructional. Anytime you look at the book of Leviticus, it's a how. God was telling the Israelites how to worship him under Old Testament law. All right. So let's dive in starting in verse 15 as we grasp a little bit of this celebration moment. Now, for those of you who are maybe math majors or you do something in the sciences, you might like these first couple of verses. They might uh, be up your alley. We probably have like four people in here that were like, amen to that. And uh, here we go. Ready? Start in verse 15. He says, you shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. You will count seven full weeks. So a simple question, how many days are in a week? Answer, Okay, there's seven days in a week, not a hard one, right? In fact, just so you know, that word in the original language there isn't the word week, it's the word Sabbath, seven Sabbaths, but Sabbath to Sabbath is seven days, all right? So uh, a week is a good translation there. And so there's, it says seven weeks. 
So there's seven days in a week, and then do that seven times over, right? And remember, seven is kind of the number that God often uses to say, hey man, this is a divine moment, I'm doing something big. And he's like, from the point of the Feast of first fruits, they're going to count seven sevens over. Okay, ready? What's seven times seven? Okay, 49. So those of you who are brushed up on your math tables, you're ready to rock. If that was not easy for you, you need to brush up on your math tables, right? That should be a little easier. Seven times seven, 49. Hang on to that number, and uh, it's going to mean something in just a second here. It says, you shall count seven full weeks, or the equivalent of seven times seven, from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. Like, what in the world does that mean? Well, that's pointing back to last week's feast that we just looked at, the Feast of first fruits. Remember where they took the barley harvest and they ended up waving it before God, just saying, thank you, Lord, for providing for us, right? And so that wave offering, it ended up coming at the end of that weekend. So you had the Passover Friday, then you had the next day, the unleavened bread, and then the Feast of first fruits. those three together. That Feast of first fruits is what they're talking about here. From that point on is what you're supposed to be keeping count from, all right? He says, all right, from that point, and then he's like, I know that might have been a little confusing to you, who those of you who can't count weeks, and uh, so let's count it in days. So he's like, you shall count 50 days to the day. Have you ever had one of those moments where you're like, how far away is that? And you're like, that's seven. Oh, wait, is that eight? Wait, am I supposed to include the day? Do I not include the day? He's like, let me clear it all up. Start on the day and count to 50. Clear enough? Right? So he's like, let's just start the day of the Feast of First Fruits, which is the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And he's like, that's one. And count out till you get to 50. And then that's the Feast of Weeks, the 50th point. Okay? And uh, that said, there's a couple of titles that they've actually given to the Feast of Weeks. One is called Feast of Weeks. Why? Well, that's because it's seven weeks separating it out, right? So they call it the Feast of Weeks. It's also called the Feast of Harvest because here at the front end, right, that was that moment where they were taking in the barley and celebrating God. Now you go out 50 days, you get to this point, they're bringing in the wheat and they're bringing in this harvest of wheat and celebrating. So they call it the Feast of Harvest as well at that point, all right? Feast of Harvest or Feast of Weeks, here's another name they gave it. It was also called in the New Testament time in Greek, it was called a Pentecost. Pentecost, that word in the Greek actually just means 50. So you know where they got it from, right? From the moment it starts here, you count out until you get to the 50th day. When you go 49, 50, now we're at it. We're on the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, and that's this celebration, all right? So that's what we've got as detail for the starting of it and the calendar of it. Now he goes into a bunch of information about the worship itself. We're going to read through it. I'm not going to be like explaining or trying to grasp the depth of what some of these things mean, but let's just make sure we grasp this out of it. God absolutely cares about the detail of our worship, okay? And so watch what happens here as he talks to them about what he was looking for from them. He's like, then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. Remember the new grain, what they just brought in was the wheat. And uh, so what were they just bringing in? Wheat. And the one they brought in 50 days earlier was barley. So barley here, wheat here, and uh, bookending on either end of this 50-day count. 
He's like, bring in the new grain to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved, made of two tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. And I'm sure there's a lot of significance and meaning in it. And uh, what are these two loaves of bread with leaven in them that are being waved? And there are some thoughts to it, but just so you know, Scripture never says what it means. So we're just going to leave it at, that's really interesting. You can muse on that all you want, and we're moving on, all right? And uh, we'll leave it with that. It says, they shall be a fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. And you shall uh, present with the bread seven lambs a year old without blemish and one bull from the herd and two rams. Ready? They shall be a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and their drink offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Everybody just say offerings. Right? This big deal of this is coming to God saying, Lord, I'm just saying thank you. Thanks for all your giving. And so there was the burnt offering and the food offering, the grain offering, the drink offering, the different blessings that God had lavished into their life. And then he keeps going. He's like, and offer one male goat for a sin offering and two male lambs a year old as a sacrifice for the peace offering for forgiveness of sins and peace with God. Forgiveness of sins and peace with God. Don't miss that. Those words are going to become important as we get into the last portion of today's message, as we see what this means about Christ. And uh, he then says, And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And you shall make a proclamation on the same day. You shall hold a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. It is a statute forever in all dwelling places throughout your generations. He's like, man, make sure you catch that this is an appointed day. This day is going to matter a ton. Hang on. That's what he's saying, right? And then he closes it out here. He's like, and when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner, I am the Lord your God. He's like, please hear me. As I'm pouring into your life and giving such blessing, don't be greedy with it all. Don't try to maximize everything you can get and forget about everybody around you. And in fact, there were so many poor people that were actually literally having to go into the field and grab what was left, what got dropped, and pick that up and try to live off of that. And that's poor, man. That's hurting. There was some pretty serious poverty going on. And he's like, please, I'm going to bless you enough. You leave some for those who are traveling through that need to glean off of that as well. And uh, celebrating and uh, appreciating the blessing that God has given you, right? There's an art to that along the way. And, uh, you know, this past week, John and I ended up going down to St. Louis real quickly for a handful of hours. Uh, we got down there to see her family. Her dad and stepmom were down there. And also uh, her sister and her husband were down there. But it was more than just meeting with them. They were on their way through. They were coming from Tennessee on their way out to a family gathering. And they were bringing um, two new kids with them, two adopted kids. And so they have a five-and-a-half-year-old boy and a two-and-a-half-year-old girl that they have adopted. And uh, just recently, they've gone through a lot of battle with the, uh, the whole families in the setup there and just doing a lot of foster care uh, providing. And then along the way, also now becoming adoptive parents, praise God for that. So this was our first opportunity to be able to meet these kids, and we wanted to get down there and connect with them a little bit and see family. So it was a sweet time to connect and laugh. You can imagine, though, 
you put kids in the car in Knoxville and you drive eight hours, right? And you get to St. Louis. And as you get there, the kids are climbing out of the car with a little different attitude than the parents, right? The parents are climbing out like, I'm exhausted. It's been eight hours. We've been trying to keep people attentive in the car. I'm tired, right? And the kids are getting out like, I have been restrained for eight hours, right? Now it's time to unleash. And they're just excited and energetic and nothing wrong with that. They were super sweet kids and laughing and joking. And we were in a hotel room chatting and connecting before we went to dinner. And, and uh, they were bouncing off the walls with energy and uh, bouncing on the bed, much to the parents' disappointment in the moment. And uh, trying to work some of those pieces out, John and I were like, hey, we had just given them a gift. So we picked up some uh, paper that came with the gift and we wrapped it up in a balls and we started playing catch with them just to kind of entertain a little bit in the moment. So we're tossing and playing catch and, and uh, laughing a little bit. And then we ended up going on a little walk. We jumped out into the hallway and walked around with them and talked with them, went and found the pool. You know what I'm talking about? The kind where you're coming back and then you're like, hey, let's see if we can be quiet. You know, those kinds of moments where you're walking around and having fun together and talking and laughing and joking along the way. And we had a blast with them. And, you know, as we came back in, you could see the facial expression on the parents Kind of, kind of the facial expression that looks sort of like, why did we ever do this trip? You know what I mean? When you're eight hours in, you got another 10 hours to go the next day, and then you got to do all that on the way back, and you could see it sort of on their face like, we should have never done it, right? We shouldn't have gone there. And you know, some of you parents, you know you've been there with, right? You get in this trip that just seems like a really smart idea, and on the, on the way, as you start to experience the whole of it, you're like, what were we thinking, right? Some of you as parents may have even been like, why did we ever have kids, right? <laughs> what are we doing? And uh, that whole moment of uh, kind of evaluating, I'm just going to say it this way, as we went out to dinner and had a blast laughing with the kids and getting to know them a little bit, man, it is so easy for us to lose sight of the blessings God gives us and start looking at the moments that are painful or struggles, right? And all of a sudden, in the midst of that, we lose sight of all of God's blessings. May we never lose sight of the blessing. God's like, heads up on this Feast of Weeks. Celebrate the harvest coming in. There's probably going to be struggles of various sorts along the way, but celebrate. Simple question for you. How's God working in your life? What's God maybe doing in your life? Where is he maybe waking you up to something? Where is he showing you something? Where is he revealing something? And praise God for that. Celebrate what God is doing in your life celebrate the work that he's doing. Maybe that even starts with salvation, that he has died for me, he was buried for me, and he rose for me. I have a king. Just make sure you keep anchored in what you can celebrate. Ready? And all of God's people said, Amen. celebration, man, it's an art, okay? Number two, historical, historical. Remember that God provides a harvest for our life. Remember that God provides a harvest for our life. He's not just pulling Israel out of Egypt back then and ending up leaving them. He's got provision for them. And same in our life, he knows exactly what he's doing and God providing along the way. So turn with me, if you will, to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. Now remember, in every feast, God's calling them to celebrate He's saying, look back at something I have done with Israel where God has expressed his character with the nation of Israel and then also will look forward to Jesus. So this is the looking back part, historical, all right? And uh, 
Remember, we've talked about the Feast of Weeks a little bit here. That's where there's a harvest being taken. It's the harvest of wheat, right? There was the harvest of barley 50 days earlier. This is the harvest of wheat. So one of the things that this is meant to celebrate is the harvest, the wheat coming in. But there's actually something else that took place on the same time frame. And if you go back into uh, Jewish tradition and oral tradition passed down, they, la- they label it as the exact same day. The Feast of Weeks is actually when the first covenant, the law, was being given over to Israel. All right? So we're picking up in Exodus 19 here with the law being given across. And uh, remember now, Israel was in Egypt for like 400 years. They were released as slaves because of the work of God. Ten plagues that he brought. And it ended up having the Egyptians like just saying, get out of here, man. They released them out. No longer slaves. They're free. They come across the, dead sea, or the Red Sea. They're now freed up from that. And as the sea collapses back, kills the army, they are freed completely. God is releasing them out. Now he's bringing them over and saying, I'm going to make you my people. I'm bringing you up before, and it's time to hear from me. Time for covenant to be established. And now we're picking it up in Exodus 19. Just to remember exactly where we are, they released out of Egypt in the first month. Remember the calendar said, start the first month when there's salvation out of Egypt. So their calendar starts in the first month released out of Egypt. The second month they were wandering And in the third month, they're now coming up to Mount Sinai. Here we go. He says, Exodus 19, verse 1. And on the third new moon, another way to say that is in the third month, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. So Israel is the nation. Moses is the leader over the nation. God is calling Moses up as the leader. He's like, hey, come on up to the mountain. Let's have a talk. Now, God is actually present everywhere in the world, but he's making himself expressly known in one spot with Moses, revealing out there. And he's like, hey, Moses, let's have a conversation. So God talking to Moses now. It says, the Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, this you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Bore you on eagle's wings. You remember the term Isaiah used of the eagle's wings and the protection of it. And he's probably referring back to this concept. God's like, hear me, man. You did not release yourselves out of Egypt. I released you. Trust me. Lean on me. I've got this in hand. And uh, really important that we even understand God's message in that. I've got this in hand as he's about ready to hand out the law and uh, rules and guidelines here. He says, the eagle's wings. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Maybe you recognize that phrase. So from this point, when God is speaking, like 1500 BC, you go forward 1500, 1600 years, and you've got Peter writing as he's talking about the church, and he's like, that we can be a royal priesthood and a holy nation. He's talking here about the opportunity we have of relationship with him, as he talks about priests and holy nation, and he says, these are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came. And called the elders of the people, 
and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Moses is like, all right, here's the deal. God's like saying, it's time for us to figure out what we're doing. Are you in? God wants us to follow him. Are you going to follow? They're like, we're in. Let's do this. Here's the catch. They hadn't heard any of the law yet other than just God's like, I'll bless you big, follow with me. And they're like, we have seen how huge God is. Let's follow. So now they're giving their word before they've even heard the commandments and the laws, but they're like, we're in. And Moses ends up saying, all right, I'll go to him. All the people answered together. They said, all the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Moses reported these words to the people of the Lord. So Moses is bringing back the words from the people of of God, and he's bringing up to the Lord the answer. Why is God working this way? It's not that God doesn't know the answer. He's like, hang on, I'm setting Moses as being ultimately in charge here. And I want you going to Moses, and I want Moses being able to lead you. And Moses is now coming with the answer. He brings it to God, and he's like, "Uh, yep, Uh, they're in. Uh, What do you want to do now, God? And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also uh, believe you forever. I'm coming in a thick cloud. God's like, hang on. I'm going to use weather to make it really clear that I'm present. There is going to be thick, dark clouds, wind that comes with that. There is going to be a statement of my presence. Hang on. That's going to be really important for them as they begin to see and even hear. Right after that, he ends up giving the Ten Commandments. If you look right over at Exodus 20 in the first few verses there, that's the Ten Commandments being given. Now we jump to Exodus 20, verse 18. Exodus 20, verse 18. Ready? He says, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us. We will listen. Uh, Do not let us go to speak to God. They're like, He's too impressive. He's too massive, man. He's too huge. And uh, please look at these words. It says, And the thunder... Just so you know, that word in the original language is actually a word in the Hebrew that is voices, thunderings. You can imagine it, right? Like the lightning goes, and you hear the, right? It's like the voices in the sky that are thundering out. It was the word voices, and there was lightning. The word for that is actually like fire in the sky. There was fire, and there were voices in the sky, a massive taking place of the impressiveness of God. Hang on to those words and remember those words, fire and voices. It's going to come up again as God is revealing out to the people who he is. Let's just jump over to Exodus 24 real quickly, a couple chapters over. Exodus 24, verse 12. Exodus 24, verse 12. Now some of the law and the commandments have been given, and it starts out in verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone. All right, everybody just say tablets of stone. God actually writing with his hand onto the tablets of stone, these are the laws and the commandments that I'm calling to you. This is the first covenant being handed out. It's in the third month. If you actually go from the Feast of First Fruits, remember the first three feasts all right together, you go, that's day one. 
and you start counting out 50 days, you end up right in the beginning of the third month. And this is that time frame. As God is now giving out at the Feast of Weeks the tablet of stone. It says, with the law and the commandments on it. And if you go down to verse 17, it says, Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire. Like a devouring fire. God doing an amazing work. And uh, this fire being shown and voices being heard and the wind being shown and clouds over it and God using the weather and the massive statements around him to be able to make it clear of his authority. That's what's going on. And it's a huge deal. And uh, You know, this next week is actually our baptism celebration, right? You've heard a little bit about that from what Pastor Mark said. We'll talk a little bit more about it in just a few minutes, but baptism celebration coming up next week, September 30th. Man, if you have trusted Christ as Savior and uh, you have not since been baptized, this is for you a chance to be able to take a stand and say, I'm with him. And it's a great celebration moment, but it's more than that. This next Sunday is actually our 12-year anniversary as a church. And uh, this church has been running for 12 years starting next week. And we always love to put baptisms on the same day as that anniversary moment. And just lumping the two together, remembering what God has done with this church as a whole, and then being able to hear what God is doing in the lives of people in this place and having those two things celebrated together. Praise be to God, right? And to love doing that dual celebration, God loves doing the same thing. And so he's like, hang on, this Feast of Weeks, well, it's actually about the uh, harvest of wheat being brought in, but it's so much more than that. And then he's like, one other thing I'm going to say, it's also the first time a covenant was given, the law being written out on tablets of stone, same time frame in the Feast of Weeks, God prepping for the harvest and preparing along the way. And a huge deal going on as God connects those together. Sweet privilege to be able to think in your life, what's God doing in my life and where is he connecting things together, right? It's really being aware of what God's doing in your life. And maybe, maybe you've been experiencing something just recently where God's been kind of waking you up or calling you to something. Or maybe you've been going after it for a while and you've got this moment back in your uh, life where you're like, I remember when. And uh, Man, just being able to remember what God is doing in your life and see how he stacks those things up together to make a statement in your life. Remember. Watch and remember what God is doing. All right? Number three. Number three. This is the Christological, which just means it's all about Christ, right? And uh, so we've had the instructional, we've had the historical, now the Christological. And as we jump here to this point, we're going to be talking about uh, what is going on with Jesus Christ and his work in this world. It says, worship God, the Holy Spirit, who empowers, stirs hearts, and brings us to belief. And... Uh, just to set this up, remember Jesus was talking to the disciples and he's like, heads up, I'm going to send a comforter. When I leave, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Hang on. And they're not really sure what that even means and they don't know how it looks, but he's talking to them about that back in the Gospels. And now we pick it up in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse uh, 7 here, I'm going to start just to get a running start. And we'll get to verse 8. It says, he said to them, uh, they've asked, hey, when is the kingdom of Israel going to come and be restored? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. He's like, hang on. 
It's not really important for you to know when the kingdom is going to actually be here. You got to think, though. There was a moment where Christ was like, guys, think about it. Like, I just died on the cross, I was buried, and I rose. And that was feasts one, two, and three, right? We just went through three feasts, and huh, we're like just a handful of days away from the fourth feast. You might want to think about that. But he's like, hang on, there are appointed times that are going on, and God's doing an amazing work. And he said, as for the kingdom, this ending point moment, hang on, that's going to be not for you. But here's what is for you. Verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He's like, hang on, because the The big sign for you is when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And there is going to be massive power that's taking place. And people are going to start grasping who Jesus Christ is. Hang on, you're going to be my witnesses. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Now this is just a handful of days after the resurrection, right? And Christ ends up being ascended into heaven. And then we, if we actually go from Christ's resurrection, remember you go day one, two, three, and you get out to 47, 48, 49, and then 50 is the Feast of Weeks, right? The Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest, and it's also called Pentecost. So now you turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 1. The 50th day. And here we go. When the day of Pentecost arrived, are you hearing it? The Feast of Weeks is upon them now. And they know what it represented with the law being given in the past and with the harvest from the wheat. They know all that. They know and understand that it's connected to 50 days before it with this some kind of first fruits thing. But now they're starting to see Jesus Christ in it. And on the first fruits feast, he ends up, Jesus Christ, rising from the dead. Boom, start counting, that's one, two, three, and you get out, 48, 49, 50. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, here we go. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. You know why? Here's a good little quote, you might want to write it down. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 16 and 17. It says that there are actually three feasts that you need to go to Jerusalem for. Three feasts where you're going to celebrate with everybody else. And it's the spring feast of the unleavened bread. It's this one, the feast of weeks. And then it's the one coming up in the fall, the feast of tabernacles. And in fact, what most Jews did is they just went for the whole spring set of feasts, the summer feast of weeks, and the whole fall set of feasts. So heads up, whenever you're reading the Gospels and you see that they're in Jerusalem, Check and see what's going on. Most likely there's a feast taking place right around it. And most likely Jesus' teaching is going to connect to those feasts. He's going to be making something pretty clear about them, all right? So here we go now. These guys are in Jerusalem. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Remember back to when the first covenant was given. And there was the thunder, and there was the lightning, and there was the big, thick, dark clouds. And now there is a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire 
like lightning in the sky, like fire coming down. And so now you have the Holy Spirit coming down on them as fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. What is tongues? It just means they're talking in other languages they didn't know. And all of a sudden, they're communicating with other nations. Everybody is being called into Jerusalem. It is the Feast of Weeks. And as they all come in and rally, now these guys are sharing out to every nation around them with all the languages communicating what's going on. And they start talking about the clarity of Jesus Christ. It says they are filled with the Spirit. And they're sharing. We got to get this, man. Don't miss it. Ready? The Feast of first fruits, that third feast, the one we did last week, that happens at Jesus Christ's resurrection. He becomes the Feast of first fruits. He is the one who is first fruits from among the dead. He is risen. Jesus Christ, he is the front end, the bookend to that. He is the first fruits bookend risen. Now you start counting. One, two, Three, and you get out 48, 49, 50. And now the back end harvest is being taken in. The front end was barley, this is wheat. The front end is Jesus Christ. And this is now his church. You and me being called in. Bookend first fruits on this massive celebration. Praise be to God. And all of God's people said, man, that's a huge deal. We cannot miss how God has put this all together. It says they were filled with the Spirit. I just wrote a couple verses down. You ready? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3. It says, The believers are a letter written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Ready? Not on tablets of stone, but on the human heart. When the Holy Spirit moves and the heart is softened, and God wakens us up to who he is, and we start believing in Jesus Christ. And he's like, the tablets of stone thing was a starting point to make it clear that we need a savior. Man, if you're on the plan of, I'm going to try to be good enough, and that should be it, I'm just telling you, that's the terrible plan of the universe. Scripture's super clear. We all come up short on that plan. Uh, everybody say all. Every one of us, including me, we all come up short. And there is one hope, Jesus Christ, him for me. The law that was issued first, man, that law was just a measuring stick to show we're coming up short. Now we're getting the fulfillment in Jesus Christ. That law being written on our hearts. It says in Romans 8.11, another verse to write down, Romans 8.11. It says, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. He who raised Jesus from the dead, day one, First fruits resurrection will also raise you and give life to you. Day 50, church started, everything being launched. The bookend to it all being connected together. And then Romans 8, 2, the law of the spirit of life sets us free from the law of sin and death. Man, please hear me. God ended up showing at the feast of first fruits the first covenant way back with Israel. But he also ended up showing the release of the second covenant with Jesus Christ and the church being rocked and the Holy Spirit coming in with power. And all of God's people said, huge deal. Do me a favor, jump over to Acts chapter 2, verse 31. Acts chapter 2, verse 31. 
right? We were just in Acts 2, 1 through 4 there. Now we go to 31. He's talking about a prophet who was writing. He says, the prophet foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up. Man, that is a huge moment, and we have to pick that up with massive celebration. We have to celebrate in this room as he is risen. So ready? Going to get a running start. Here we go again. He says, he the prophet foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up. Amen, man. Lift it up. He is risen. Jesus Christ, he is raised up. That was day one. And 50 days later, the resurrection is now offered eternal life for us, the church, a chance to be on fire for him. And all of God's people said, man, that is the hope that we have in him. And he says right after it, and of that, we are all witnesses of Jesus Christ's resurrection. Peter's like, witnessed it, been there. Verse 36 Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Man, do you grasp that Jesus is Lord? He's like, I'm just telling you flat out, he's in charge of the universe. He is creator and he's in charge. Peter giving him full statement, he is Lord and Christ. And when the Holy Spirit moves, we'll check what happens next. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Man, when the Holy Spirit moves, it just stirs in our soul, doesn't it? All of a sudden, you're like, I'm so wrong in this. I so need to get this right. I so need to hear from God. I so need to ask for forgiveness for this. Lord, please forgive me. And the Holy Spirit moving, and they were cut to the heart. And look what it says their response was. So they were now cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what do we do? You got to love that question, man. That is a moment of, all right, guilty. Now what? And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit is moving in this place, and uh, they're asking for a hope statement, and he says, repent and be baptized. Repent, literally it means be done with the sin and the selfishness and be on with following Jesus Christ. Done with trying to be good enough. On with God's got this. Done with it's all about me. Now it's all about him. Repent. I'm done. I'm on with Jesus Christ. And be baptized. Man, make it known to everybody around you that you stand with him. That's what it looks like. He's like, and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, please hear me. Proper baptism is all about into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not into the name of a church. And all of God's people said, super important we grasp that. It is about Jesus Christ and him celebrated. And he says, repent and be baptized. Man, there's a super high hope. And go to verse 41 now. He says, so those who received his words were baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Man, we got to grasp that harvest for a moment. So we go back to the beginning of the feast. The first day is Jesus Christ dying on the cross. The second day is Jesus Christ being buried and taking away our sin, the sinless one for us. 
The third day is Jesus Christ rising from the dead. The first fruits from among the dead bringing eternal life. He conquers sin and death. That's one. Next day, that's two. And he counts on to that's 49. And that's 50. Holy Spirit comes down fire, smoke. There's movement amongst. They're seeing people talking in languages they've never talked in. The truth about Jesus Christ is brought. And that day, bam, 3,000 people are saved. Massive harvest brought in. And the church is begun. And all of God's people said, and that is a huge deal. May we grasp that he knew exactly what he was doing from the beginning. And the goal of hanging on for seven sevens and then unleashing it into yours and my life was a part of his plan. Praise be to God. You know, it says that 3,000 people were saved there and baptized. And uh, let's make sure we just talk through baptism for a little bit. Baptism is next week here and super fired up about it. And if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, ready? If you admit, all right, I'm not, I'm not perfect. I'm way short of it. I need a Savior. If you admit that, if you believe that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and you confess him as your Lord, take over, you're in charge. Man, that's saved. That's what the scripture says. Please note, the scripture does not say, believe he died on the cross doesn't say that. Everybody say it doesn't say that. It says he believed he rose from the dead, and that was the first fruits moment. And 50 days later is the opportunity for you and for me being offered out for the first time. Man, do you admit that you're a sinner? Do you believe that Jesus has risen from the dead? Do you confess him as Lord? Is he your Passover lamb? Is he your hope in the middle of a broken world? Are you leaning on him? And that's saved. Have you been baptized since then? And man, if not, then this baptism is for you. We'd love to have you join us, all right? And, uh, so here's the words I wrote down. Take your stand. Take your stand with Jesus Christ. Make much of him. As he has taken a stand for you and died and been buried in rows, so now you take a stand with him. May God get all the glory. Have you trusted Christ and not since been baptized? Then this is for you, all right? Now, that said, there's always a few questions that come up about baptism, so I just wanted to answer a few frequently asked questions. Number one, uh, man, I trusted Jesus Christ as Savior uh, a number of years ago. I was baptized after that, but it was at a different church. Do I need to be baptized here? And uh, no. Right? We do not baptize into the name of Harvest Bible Chapel. We baptize into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, so no, you don't have to be baptized again. That's awesome. Glad you did that. And uh, just keep celebrating and living for your king, all right? And, uh, well, I was baptized in another church. They don't do that immersion thing you guys do. They don't go under the water and back up. They do this sort of sprinkling uh, of water. And do I need to be baptized again? And we always say it this way. Um, it's not about how wet you get, okay? Don't, don't worry about how wet you're getting in the process. Are you making much of Christ? Was that clear along the way that you were taking a stand with Jesus and you were a believer? If so, then that's awesome. And maybe you're like, I don't think it was. I don't think it was clear. Well, then maybe you do wanna join us and get baptized next week. That's your call, but uh, no, you don't have to just because of the mode or the style, all right? And 
Here's another one. Well, I was baptized as an infant, but I later came to trust Christ. And we would say, yeah, for sure on that one, come and get baptized with us. Why? Because it's repent and be baptized. It's believe and then be baptized. And if an infant was baptized, they haven't yet believed. And once you have trusted Christ, take your stand with him.